You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Club Cricket Podcast in association with Nat West. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the Editor-in-Chief of the Wisden Cricket Monthly Magazine, Phil Walker. Phil, we're allowed to net again. Yeah, <laughs> kind, kind, of, kind of exciting, uh, cautiously exciting. No one really knows, do they? No one really knows whether to be uh, positive and bullish or sceptical and pessimistic. We're, we're stuck in a, in a horrible kind of emotional holding pattern, really. Um, I, I want to greet the news positively. Um, I certainly want to credit the ECB with the spirit of the statement. Um, but I wonder how much in reality this this is actually the boon and the benefit for clubs in particular that it might appear to be. Um, it's a compl- complex one, really. Um, the, the, the specifications are very clear. Uh, you, you're, not, you're not to go into a net with more than one other person. Um, you, the balls that you use are going to be your own balls and woe betide anybody who puts any saliva onto them, which is understandable and fair enough. Uh, and the nets themselves have to be disinfected, in effect. Um, and obviously social distancing of, a, of at least two metres must be maintained at all times. So symbolically, it feels like a, like a positive morale-boosting step in the right direction. But it would be interesting to see how many clubs can actually in real terms, institute this into their own, their own setups um, from, from June onwards, uh, especially bearing in mind that clubhouses themselves can't be reopened for obvious reasons. Um, and if you remove that element from uh, a training night or a, or a training afternoon in a cricket club, then, then suddenly the enthusiasm uh, that brings a lot of people to, to nets in the first place is is diminished because you don't have that after that afterwards uh, drink up and a chat and, and and so on and so on. Obviously, no indoor activity at all either, uh, and so it's 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 a precarious one, I would say. Uh, 
Uh, I don't want to put cold water over this one, but it's 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 by no means clear cut and by no means an, an outright positive move just yet, I wouldn't say. Yourself? It, it's worth quickly clarifying that the clubs need to do quite a lot of things to, to make it possible for Nets to take place at their club. Um, they need to have a booking system in place to ensure there aren't too many people at a set of nets at one time. A sanitation procedure has to be done between usage and bookings. A representative of the club has to be on site during the hours that the facilities are open for use. That's a difficult one. Mm. Um, and there needs to be signs that should be displayed when facilities are not open to deter use by general public. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think there's a there's a bit of um, soul searching going along in the sports loving world at the moment about what people actually enjoy in sport. So this weekend we just had the return of the Bundesliga and football, and a lot of people saying there's no crowd that takes so much away from it. But people still love the game of football for itself. And I'd, comparing that to cricket and in particular netting, Phil, you and I we net during the winter months before the the cricket season starts. We're not building up towards anything. We don't go for a drink or anything afterwards. We just go back to the office. There is something fun just in netting for the sake of netting. And particularly when people at the time of year most often play cricket and look forward to it so much, people are just desperate to play cricket. So I, I think this is really good news, even if not that many clubs can actually put the nets open for their members. Yeah, I, I hear that. And um, on a personal level, uh, well, firstly, two things. I went down to my local park um, in South London yesterday, um, in fact, Sunday afternoon, and the nets were opened, having been bolted up for obvious reasons over the last six weeks. And um, there were a, there were a couple of young lads playing in there as well, and it warmed the heart. No question, it warmed the heart to see. Um, from a personal perspective, I, I net in the winter. I don't tend to net during the summer, in part because the club I play for is a fair old old way to get to, and I'm lazy by nature. Uh, but the, the netting during the season itself is um for me an unsatisfying experience um the netting itself uh and especially it would be very hard for me personally to summon the energy to do it if i didn't know that there was a game on a saturday but then that's me that's a personal perspective on it and it's to do with my own a- approach to the game as well really but other people love a net Lots of people I know prefer nets to playing. <laughs> it's a more straightforwardly fun experience than the, the horrifying pressures of actually playing a, an organised game of cricket. Um, look, it would be ridiculous of me and churlish to um, to dismiss this announcement because it's come earlier than we were expecting and it's clearly the first step on the path to hopefully being able to play some kind of organised cricket at some point this year. Uh, but it's the first step on a fairly long path, I would say, and a path that could yet diverge again. You know, a second spike changes the landscape yet again. It's been interesting. I've spoken to a couple of people in, in the game, in the in the recreational game. I spoke to a club chairman who felt that these um, these recommendations on netting were broadly unrealistic and unworkable, certainly for his club. And I've spoken to some others, others who are who are less pessimistic about it. Uh, but no doubt, no doubt, this is uh, this is still just part one of, of of a very very complex story, really. And uh, the truth of it is that it still remains a relatively remote uh, idea to be playing that much organised cricket at any point this year. Maybe some friendly games, eating sandwiches in the corner, 
and, and drinking your own squash and so on and so on. Look, there are ways around this, and I personally remain cautiously optimistic, but that's not a feeling that is that is emanating around the, the game, from certainly from the people that I've spoken to. How about you? Yeah, I mean, so on, on netting itself, I think a lot of, for most people who play club cricket, you are always netting for a purpose of of playing actual cricket. It's always in the build-up. So you have pre-season nets are building up to the first game of the season and nets midweek are building up to the game on the Saturday. I think I'm influenced by, I played a lot of, I didn't, uh, crucially actually, I did not actually play much cricket when I was at university, but I did a lot of netting. So in my last year of university, I reckon I did four hours of netting most weeks and with no cricket in sight, it was just a bunch of guys who just liked cricket, playing cricket for the sake of playing cricket. Um, there was no end goal in sight at all. And we ended up really enjoying it. And kind of, it was it was a bonus that there was, there were some games at the very, very end of a long winter of netting. So I think that people will grow used to netting for the sake of netting, if that's the only option they have. Yeah, look, I can see that. And, and we haven't yet mentioned um, junior players as well. Look, if there's any way at all, that we can we can get some form of bat and ball happening for for young aspiring cricketers in particular, uh, then look we have to move heaven and earth to do so. Um, and if mm. it's if it's unsatisfactory, then so be it. We have to do it. And I guess in the same spirit, we move towards the question of of how an organised game of cricket can be played. Now I know that you spoke to Scott. You spoke to Scott Oliver. I think I think that's going to be featuring later in the show. But it was very interesting what he's what he's been doing. He's he's doing a piece for Wisden Magazine on the the lay of the land coming up, and he spoke to a to a clinical lecturer in infectious disease control at the University of Exeter. Um, and the findings from this particular chat were quite interesting. That he believes that the uh, the threat to the game itself on the pitch from this virus is very low. So he says to him, he says to, says to Scott, out on the pitch, it's low risk. Um, the ball itself isn't infectious. Uh, and because you're outside in the open air, the, the virus itself is, you know, diluted, dis- dispersed into the outside air. Um, he is less uh, optimistic, this lecturer, when it, when it comes to the, the surrounding issues of cricket, you know, the social issues of cricket, can can the, the, the cricketing playing force effectively adhere to the recommendations and the requirements? But what is interesting, as I say, is that on the pitch itself, he has a lot of confidence that a game can go ahead uh, without, any, without any real risk. Let's play that interview with Scott Oliver, WCM columnist. Now, it's a, it's a really interesting listen, and I think it's quite a balanced approach to the question that we're all asking ourselves, are we going to be able to play a game of cricket this summer? So you've written a piece in the upcoming Wisden Cricket Monthly about the feasibility of club cricket being played this summer. Simply, what, what did you find out, if anything? Um, I found out that the picture is massively uncertain. That's the overriding message. There's a lot of hope among people um but i think it's it's uh, wishful thinking rather than realistic hope i think expectation management if I, if that was my field i would be saying like prepare for the worst um uh, in cricket terms um because the wider situation is going to govern everything um but within that cricket clubs themselves are 
preparing their grounds in the hope of a resumption of play, which is obviously a precondition. You need the pitches ready to go. And that in itself uh, creates a number of problems. I mean, certain private clubs have had to furlough paid ground staff. Um, other clubs that rely on volunteers that, and that own their land have been able to get it as ready as it ordinarily would be. But then there are clubs that um, lease their ground off local councils and in some cases they've had to, they haven't been able to access the pitch for weeks, seven, eight weeks. Um, the gates have been locked, the council staff that would tend to the grounds um, have been kind of diverted into other essential operations at crematoria, trimming arterial road verges, waste management, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so hypothetically, uh, hypothetically, if there were to be a resumption, I think there would be a very uneven picture around club cricket as to which clubs would be ready to go immediately. Um, so, yeah, that, that's there's that variability. but. Obviously, um, the message from the government uh, a week ago on last Sunday with what they call the guide for the public on the phased return of outdoor sport and recreation has prompted the ECB then to issue guidelines to clubs about a limited reintroduction of practice. I'm sure every club cricketer is now aware of this. But... The logistics involved in that um, are quite, uh, you know, they're quite detailed and difficult. So that's, there's a huge amount of logistical um, and administrative difficulties just practising. So in mm. throwing that forward to getting the game on, um, there's uh, obviously enormous complexities there. Yeah, I mean, the prospect of having a league season is becoming increasingly bleak. Scotland have already cancelled their club cricket league season for 2020. Dan Norcourse wrote a really interesting article in The Spectator, kind of tongue-in-cheekly saying that cricket is a is a social distance sport pretty much anyway. It seems that if we do have cricket being played this summer by, by amateurs, it will be cricket played for cricket's sake. It wouldn't really be for anything. You wouldn't be competing for anything. And one of the conversations you had with a doctor from... Exeter University was reasonably upbeat about how, how cricket could be played in a in a safe manner. Uh, yes, he he was. He he zeroed in on a couple of aspects of the ordinary playing of the game, um, i.e., the ball. Uh, he didn't think that the ball itself was a transmission vector, if you like. Um, I Somebody asked me whether fielders could use um, vinyl gloves or sanitary gloves and then sort of take them off when they bowl. I won't say who that is. Uh, he, he's part of the Wisdom team, though. Um, I think he was just spitballing ideas. But uh, Dr. Panakia, he said that that was just... That was ludicrous in a way because it depends what you do with the gloves and you know what you're then touching subsequently. So, but yeah, um, he thinks that the key to it is that the viral dose, the loading dose, is massively reduced outdoors in an open environment. It disperses. Um, I asked about how that pertains to you know slips fielding close together. 
And he did have to concede that, yeah, they might have to field slightly further apart. Um, you know, if you get to a situation on a raging turner and you want four or five men around the bat at the end, again, that that that, that sort of throws into question social distancing. He said that he thought that two metres was arbitrary in a way and that he would definitely observe it indoors, but outdoors you could play around with the parameters slightly. Um, so, yeah, his main concern was the logistics off the field. You know, how do you get to the game? How do you change? How do you eat? How do you use the toilet? Whether you socialise afterwards, all of those things are difficult. Um, and, I, you know, I put it to Simon Prodger of the um, National Cricket Conference um, that people would be prepared to accept all those restrictions and all those um, sort of um, hurdles that they had to, to jump over just in order to run up and bowl, hit the ball and just feel those feelings. Um, and he sort of had two answers. There was a practical answer and an emotional answer. And he felt that emotionally it wouldn't be the same game if you couldn't set a correct field you know if you had to tinker with the game so much to observe social distancing is it really cricket and you could almost kind of reverse engineer that situation and this is in line with um, something he then suggested in relation to ground readiness so if club A and B don't have their pitch ready and club C does, then you play a three-way T20 at club C. So if you reverse engineer the on-field situation so that you're playing a game where you don't have fielders close together, um, then that would suggest T20. Then it would feel more natural because you, you aren't expecting to have three slips, you know, for the first 10 overs or anything. It wouldn't strike you as being that different in that set of circumstances if you know what I mean hmm. so yeah I think look, I think a lot of club cricketers would be absolutely grateful for anything um, the prospects are still a long way off and the wider situation has to improve significantly that was in Boris Johnson's own speech a few day, you know, 10 days ago whenever it was you know it was contingent upon certain targets and statistics uh, going in the right direction. So um, let's see what happens come July, late July, August. I think the first class game is, you know, is mothballed until July the 1st anyway. Um, club cricket is indefinite. So, yeah, there, there are some crumbs of comfort there, but... Um, I think people have to also be realistic. And I think everybody understands that cricket is, you know, it's relatively unimportant in the wider scheme of things. You know, I think uh, Tanya Aldred's phrase uh, in The Guardian the other week was really nice. It's the most important of the unimportant things. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my sort of advice to people is um, don't, you know, prepare the ground, but prepare your mind for for no cricket, um, and then yeah, everything else is Santa Claus. <laughs> Bill, there's, there's a lot in that interview. Scott is probably more 
pessimistic about the prospect of playing cricket this summer than I am from listening to it because the crucial bit is uh, the doctor from Exeter University doesn't think that doesn't think that actually playing the game of cricket is that much of a risk. He did he does mention you know fielders perhaps being too close to each other, but in re- in reality, other than slips, that doesn't really happen in club cricket, and you don't have to play fifty over cricket with slipping away T Twenty cricket, etc. So I, I'm quite optimistic having heard that. Well, yeah. Do you know what? Looking at the quotes on paper and having heard them as well from Scott. Uh, and having known that this was coming for a few days, I've been quite chipper as well. And so the response to the netting stuff from the people that I've spoken to has knocked the sales out of me a little bit. Um, I've spoken to one or two other people involved in the administrative side of cricket, uh, of recreational cricket, and they have one or two reservations regarding the, the sanctity of the game or the integrity of the game, let's say. And you know, with regards to field placings and have being too close in at silly point and having not you know more only being limited to one slip or the keeper not fully standing up and so on and so on. Well, my personal feeling on that is that you just got to get the game on. That's my feeling. You have to get the game on by hook or by crook. Everybody recognises that these are absurd times that we've never seen before and hopefully we'll never have to see again. Um, but the the benefits to getting a game of cricket on, both mentally, physically, a sense of worth, a sense of well-being, all of these things, and just to feel bat and ball again, my word, just to feel bat and ball. We have to be prepared when it comes to the cricketing side of things to cut corners. I think we have to. I think we have to appreciate, look, you, you might want to start with three slips and a gully all bunched up together. Well, Maybe you you agree beforehand that you can only have one slip and that slip is a one and a half or second slip. There there has to be ways. Just on another point as well, just in the in the brackets, um, the, the chap who Scott interviewed said that it's a rather arbitrary figure. The two meter figure is a rather arbitrary figure, as has indeed been um, been shown across Europe, where where different measurements are 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 agreed upon with, by those in individual governments. Um, but outside that two meter distance, outside in the in the clean air, that two meter distance becomes less of a thing, less less in, integral to people's health, uh, according to this particular chap. And so, look, if it comes down to that, if it comes down to the the detail of field placings and and so on and so on, then we we have to be a bit more imaginative than that. I think we have to live a little bit more than that. Yeah, I think. We have to be realistic about the prospect of a league season and that being very different to whether or not we actually play cricket. So you can you can play cricket without it being in a structured league. Scotland have already cancelled their league season, but that doesn't mean that cricket is impossible to play in Scotland before September, October. I think that people will be so desperate, similar to what I said about Nets, people will be so desperate to play any form of cricket they possibly can. I think the vast majority of club cricketers won't care that the games don't count for anything. Mm-hmm. Are we happy to be playing anything? And they won't really care about um, if, if there are small rule changes, such as you can't have two slips or something like that. Um, yeah. it, might, it might make more sense if, if structure and competition is something what people is, is something that people are after. To have a T20 league in, instead of 50 over stuff, anyway, you can get more games in, in a shorter period of time. You can involve multiple clubs. You can play multiple clubs on one day, etc., so if you're after a league, T20 is probably the format that you're going to end up having to play anyway. Yeah, no, I, I see that. I absolutely see that. And if it if you are looking at maybe a six week season, say from you know even mid August onwards, then you can still, in theory, play I don't know twelve games of 
T20, T20 cricket over six days of days of play. You know, you can you can play two forty over games on a Saturday against the same opposition in in effect a home and away type tie. So look, if for for those who are craving um, first cricket, but then very soon after that competitive result league cricket in effect then there are ways to be funky and there are ways to be creative to get something on. The story that I'd heard from a couple of weeks ago regarding um, one of the leagues in the South is that they were looking at a nine-team competition, a nine-match competition rather, maintaining the leagues as they would would have been if, if kicking off at the start of what would have been a normal season, but just halving that season. So from 18 games down to nine, get it, doing away with relegation, but still having winners and runners-up with all the all the garlands that come come with that, that that seems to me to be a delightful compromise and one that everybody could get behind. But as I said at the top, you know, this we are only one or two steps along a very very rocky road, and and there's not really widespread optimism that, that we're going to get to get to that point where we could play nine nine or so games in this year. Uh, but we shall have to see. We shall have to see. It's, it's been it's been an interesting week in this story, and and recreational cricketers, of which you know you and I are both, we, we are we have been patient and obedient and respectful of the situation as much as possible. Uh, but the longer it goes on, the more our resolve will be tested. Um, we just have to suck it up and get on with it at the moment. Yeah, we we have to preface everything by saying that. If cricket's going to happen, we're going to need to see uh, a decline in the spread of the virus and the continued decline for, for quite some time. We're still some way off it. And I think, finally, I think we, it is worth mentioning the social aspect of the game as well. It's something that the doctor from Exeter University does mention. His worry was actually whether or not you could control, you could, you could make it, create an environment where cricketers don't spend too much time in clo- close indoor spaces together, be it in changing rooms or bars, etc., but actually, you know, you're already seeing people, people are allowed to spend time, albeit with just one person in a socially distant environment outside now. So, you know, I, I do think, anyway, my, my main point is I'm far more optimistic about this now than I was a week ago. I thought we had no chance of having cricket being played this summer a week ago. As now I think there is, there is a chance that I will play a game of cricket this summer, which is a, which is a great thought, even if it might not actually happen. <laughs> Isn't it just? I, I tell you, if I if I do play any cricket, I'm not going to get a run. I tell you that because the only time I ever, I ever get any runs is when I don't put any pressure on myself. If I do finally walk out in whites and all padded up sometime in late July, maybe even early August, then then yeah, guaranteed. Put your mortgage on me getting a first baller. Yes, all right, <laughs> absolutely guaranteed. Yeah, look, it, I think I think it will it will change again. It will be very interesting to see how these. How, how the mood goes down regarding netting and how much uh, enthusiasm there is out there among the playing force. You know, there will be many who, many, you know, cricketers with families, with young families or cricketers of a certain age, you know, pushing past middle age up towards that that mark, you know, that sort of fateful mark, late 60s, early 70s, you'll be saying, look, I'm, I just, I'm just not comfortable with this. I don't want to expose myself or indeed my family or loved ones to, to anything like this. So, Again, it will be fascinating to see what happens over the next two or three weeks uh, as we tentatively move towards something um, that may resemble cricket again. Absolutely, absolutely.
In previous shows, we talked about how some clubs have been raising funds themselves this summer, and we've got another excellent example of proactive thinking this week. I spoke to old Wimbledonian CC's first 11 captain, John O'Gordon, about how his club have managed to ensure short-term financial security for themselves this summer. So first up, John, do you want to tell me about what your club's been doing to raise funds during lockdown? Yeah, so um, very quickly, we... um... I guess identify the need that with no cricket potentially uh, on the horizon this year that the club was going to struggle financially as a lot of clubs are. Um, so there were a lot of conversations had um, and, and we, we looked to other clubs to see what they were doing. So uh, clubs, you know, uh, Addiscombe, Purley, Twickenham, uh, clubs around the southwest London region and, and they a lot of those guys were seemingly doing these crowdfunding appeals um, with different amounts they were looking to raise. So after a lot of considered conversations between the committee, we decided to to head down that route. So how, how bleak was your financial position before the fundraiser? Um, we were struggling. I mean, is it? I, I think most cricket clubs um, the world over, uh, you know, I was very lucky to play for Wimbledon Cricket Club for, for, a lot, for five years. Um, 2010 to 2014 and you know they, they have a wonderful financial position because of where they are and the fact that the ground gets used as a car park during the Wimbledon Championships but that's very much an anomaly uh, with regards to, to club cricket um, and the rest of us kind of live very much on a you know on a hand-to-mouth style basis uh, certainly that's the case with my club Old Wimbledonians we very much rely on um, subscriptions uh, we, we're part of an association so the bar revenue goes to the association so all of our income, in inverted commas, is made up through players paying, you know, their their subscriptions and match fees throughout the year. What other options had you explored before starting the fundraiser? Was was it a last roll of the dice, really? Yeah, I mean, we we'd spoken to the. I'm very lucky in the sense that we've got a, quite a young committee. The chairman's, um, you know, mid fifties, MD of a couple of businesses, and and very kind of switched on. Um, so he's been a, a massive help. Um, and he's very proactive in that sense. Um, but we, he's he'd explored a lot of um, the different funding avenues, and you know whether it be it rightly or wrongly, he all he, his position, having read and done all this research, was that um, you know the, the the funding was more geared towards um, cricket clubs who have shed as a changing room. That you know we've all played at these clubs in it, jazz hat cricket or friendly midweek cricket or whatever. Um, and not necessarily set up to, to support the clubs that are um, more firmly rooted in, in society or communities, if you like. So um, we decided that it was it was very much the right thing to do for us to uh, to, to launch our own appeal. As I say, the clubs such as Old Rooks around the corner, Addiscombe, Purley, uh, Twickenham, you know, have done themselves quite successfully. So I think each different club requires different amounts. Like our, our, our target is uh, 10 grand to see us through until, the, you know, April next year, if we see no cricket. Um, but we also, um, we're trying to use it as an opportunity to, um, we need new nets. We're in desperate need of new static nets at the club. So our stretch target is 35 because that 25 in between will give us the opportunity to then pay for, new state-of-the-art equipment that would be of massive benefit not only to senior cricketers but more importantly juniors because they need to be safe when practising. Do you think that starting a fundraiser is an option for all clubs? So you guys have done seemingly pretty well out of it um, and it's worked well for you but 
not everyone might have members and supporters in financially strong enough position collectively for the moment to help their clubs enough? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen donations of all shapes and sizes. You know, we've had um, one one ex-club member who's donated 500 quid, yet we've got current members who have put in 20 quid. And there's no there's no right or wrong. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's really key and it's a huge part of our messaging has been about uh, having a, a massive appreciation of the current climate that we're in um, and people's own personal situations within that. So um, there is no right or wrong answer. People, you know, we, we've we've not put a defined number on what we would expect or ask people to donate. It's very much up to themselves. So, I, as first team captain, um, have an awareness of you know what the situation of all my kind of squad players are, how stable they are at the minute, um, and but I'm not putting pressure on those that are still in full time work to put you know an amount in or you know and not. It, it's it's down to each individual knowing their own situation and us as a club not to pry, you can ask people to contribute. However, you can't expect people to contribute, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. How, how important has communication been for you, um, just talking to other clubs, learning from different clubs and what positions they're in? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're lucky. Um, in the sense that on the field and off the field, we have very good relationships with um with a lot of clubs that we, we play against. Um, so we've got, you know, spoken to, to Purley and Addiscombe and Twickenham and, you know, there's we, we, we kind of, there's a few of us on different kind of Zoom chats throughout each week talking to each other. So that's a, a real healthy way of kind of maintaining that um, communication uh, with those people. I mean, you know, it just goes to show um, one one fellow from Addiscombe, a bloke called Barry Lineker, who we've played against for for years, donated to our club's fundraising appeal. So, you know that shows what you know how people think of us as a club. Um, but it also shows that actually this is a you know there's that hashtags in the cricket family that people mm. use you know throughout different times and different scenarios. This is a real time for cricket the cricket family, as it were, to to kind of pull together. Um, you know, it's not about only supporting your own club if you can support uh, clubs where. Um, you know that you, you know players and they're struggling. Then you know I'd I'd encourage people to do that. I mean, my my mother-in-law, who's Irish, who lives in Cork, donated to to our club because she knows how much it means to me. Um, and I think the more that people can do that, you know, cricket. Off the back of last year, it was the biggest year that we we've had in English cricket since two thousand and five, comfortably. And this has been a real kick in the teeth for you know, amateur cricket, club cricket, because I think we were all expecting it to to kind of really um, see a, a, an increase in popularity again off the back of last year. Uh, and we just hope that the, there's a way of ensuring that that can then see itself through to 2021, providing that if there is no cricket this year. Um, but I think the, the powers that be uh, are desperate to try and get some kind of cricket season in this year, whether we manage to or not. I mean, I think... The, the main thing is that everybody has to be safe. Uh, and, it, and if we can't be seen as um, the sport through shining balls, saliva, sweat on the balls, etc., it we cannot be seen as the sport that caused a second spike in the coronavirus. So I agree with, you know, um, everybody that it was saying the right thing when it has to be completely safe before we can get back out there. Would you be pushing to for the cricket to be as flexible as possible, though, for club cricket to return but with amended laws basically 
the temporary banning of ball shining, uh, potentially playing with gloves, uh, playing the season in slight, slightly funkier times, basically having a, a season that might stretch into October. Yeah, I mean, look, I am. Uh, my Twitter handle is you know JG Cricket Badger. Like you know, I'm 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 a, I'm a massive, uh, you know, I'm a cricket nut. You know, I can't wait to get out there uh, and. You know, being 37 years old, I haven't got that many seasons left playing at a, at a reasonable, you know, standard. So um, it's it's important for me to get as much cricket out there as possible. I'm, I'm engaging with the lads um, across the club and not just across the, the first team about, you know, we could still play some cricket. Don't go making any plans. I think it'll be, I think it'd be interesting to see uh, how many people actually then play. So let's say we have a, a half a season. Uh, I think it, you know, I've already got guys who are saying, "Oh, I'm really enjoying my Saturdays." No, lads, that's the wrong thing to think. We got promoted last year, you know. If we get nine games, we need to go hard for nine games. Like, you know, we've all got to muck in together here. It's not just about, "Oh, I might take this year off," because that in our situation is going to hurt the club even more. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a, you know, the, I heard the Cockerbrew are, are, um, are they testing this kind of wax thing where you can wax one side of the ball slightly? Uh, they're testing that in Australia, apparently. Um, it, it won't be ready for us, certainly this year. Um, but I think we need to do what we need to, everything we can to try and get back out there, whether it's half a season, it's one up, one down, whether we just play five or six friendlies. I think people need some semblance of cricket this year, um, if we can at all get that done but I, I watched the um, Sky Sports vodcast last night and Joe Root was saying what, whatever happens um, cricket cannot be changed from what it is to, mm. to accommodate that makes sense so you can't the, the league couldn't come to us and say you can't have a keeper stood up short leg silly point and first slip because they're all too close together so if cricket's going to come back this year, then it needs to be able to come back in its purest form um, and without any kind of, let's say, silly restrictions and in inverted commas. Do you th- would you be as, as precious over the existing laws of the game if the games that we've had once cricket returned did not count towards any league? So the league might facilitate a set of games, but it didn't count for promotion, relegation or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, look, if that's the case... Fine, you know. I think, yeah. If it, if it, if they are friendlies, if you like, I think, you know, if that's the case, uh, I think clubs would be left rather than leagues getting involved too much. I think the, the the league would say, right, you're allowed to play cricket from X until Y. You know, I suppose that's then down to the individual clubs to see, you know, how long their squares can last. Um, are they going to repair over the winter if you go into late October rather than? It's all very good saying, you know, well, the weather's been great and we've had all these Indian summers. Yeah, but, you know, the the, the, the squares or blocks or whatever you want to call them need X amount of time to repair themselves properly over the, the winter and a serious amount of work goes into that. I think there's a lot of um, chatter amongst the cricket community about how we, you know, we want to get back out there. So we think X, Y and Z is the case. But actually, you know, we're, we're just on the front line as players. You know, there's a lot more thought has to go into how to prepare wickets and blocks, etc. that we see. So the groundsmen, um, how much money do you have to pay extra for them to do the extra work if we go into the end of October rather than finishing in the first week of September? So I think there's a lot more consideration that probably needs to happen. Um, you know, for, I think committees are going to be very, very busy 
um, over the next few months, depending on um, what, uh, what what the government's guidelines are. Mm, definitely. And also, Johnny, you wanted to talk about one member in particular at your club. Yeah. Uh, we, so we've, uh, you know, this goes back to the whole cricket family thing. Uh, we've got a 17-year-old lad uh, called Sashin Shah who um, was diagnosed with cancer, osteosarcoma, last year. Um and he's going in, you know, he's a young lad. His main love is cricket. He's half Indian, half English. Um, he's got to have a full right knee replacement uh, at hospital next week. And um, we we went out to the cricket family um, and, um, you know, we, we had so many well wishes, some videos put together for him, you know, Ollie Pope, Sam Curran, Owen Morgan, Jade Dernbach, Steve Finn. Uh, it was incredible. And the, the entire cricket family, you know, came together. So... Um, that was amazing for us. It was amazing for Session. It's put a smile on his face. He's going through a lot of intensive chemotherapy uh, and he's going to have a, a full right knee replacement, as I say. But, you know, th- there is that support out there for everybody's going through a tough time uh, across a, di- a number of different situations. But, you know, as, as a cricket family, we, we're all there for each other. We just need to, to make sure that we vocalise that so no one feels like they're alone at any point. Fantastic. Jono, thanks so much for talking to me today. Super. Cheers, guys. And finally, a trio of cricket-loving soldiers each ran marathons in their back garden a couple of weeks ago to raise money for the NHS and Chance to Shine. Before they completed it, I caught up with one of them, Rob Cross, not the darts player, about the challenge. Where did you get the idea from? <laughs> uh, very good question. Um, so we, we, we were listening to the radio, um, I think it was last Saturday, and, uh, and they were talking about someone doing a marathon in their garden. Uh, we heard about a French chap that did a, a marathon on their balcony, and we sort of thought that, that no one had done one in cricket kit yet. And we, we all love cricket and, and miss it madly, as I'm sure, as I'm sure you do and, and many, many listeners do. Um, and we thought, hell, let's, let's just go for it. Um, let's just do it. Um, we, we, we don't like to, to sort of sit around and, uh, and do little. Um, and we thought that if we can do something to, to try and make a, a small difference during, this, uh, during these uh, strange, strange times, then, then we are keen to do that. Running a marathon is hard enough work as it is, but A, you'll be doing it in your own gardens, but also with a bit of cricket kit. Are you going to be able to manage? I hope so. Um, like you say, it's sort of uncharted territory, really. Um, uh, my highest score is is very measly, so so doing sort of two two thousand three hundred eighty seven, um, is going to be a bit of a. It's definitely going to be a physical struggle, but at least I know that uh, um, that refreshments are close by if uh, if we're flagging. Obviously, it's a great idea. Have you have any of you guys had any personal experiences with either the NHS or Chance to Shine recently that's encouraged you to donate to both those organisations? So Chance to Shine, um, I've been a supporter of for, for a few years now. Um, we, b- being, being in the military, we are incredibly supportive of, of, of any charity that, that firstly puts themselves um, um, on the front line, which what the NHS are doing, um, and those that um, help to teach young people in particular about teamwork and leadership, i.e. Chance to Shine, um, we will do anything we can to support those charities because they are um, the sorts of, of skills that we hold um, dear to us um, and, and that we've found to be useful in our, in our short careers so far. Um, and so we will happily, happily support um, those sorts of charities. 
That's awesome. Um, as, as soldiers, have you guys been involved at all with the nation's response to COVID-19? Uh, sadly not. We're, we're still in training. Uh, so um, we, aren't, we aren't allowed out uh, onto, the, onto the streets quite yet. But our, um, our future regiments um, are very much involved in, uh, in the response um, and helping out. Um, and I think that's sort of part of the reason why um, we're sort of keen to help from 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 where we are in isolation um, to be able to to sort of feel as though we're we're making a, a small difference. I understand that you'll be live streaming the event. This this recording will go out after you've hopefully already done it. So where can people go to to uh, to watch and also crucially to donate? So we're we're very much live on 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 Twitter at uh, Garden Garden Mara um and on facebook as well um we're gonna uh, as you say we're gonna be live streaming it so hopefully you'll be able to watch it as we're as we're doing it um and our our virgin giving page is is linked in there as well so uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash hit and run is the uh the details there fantastic we'll, we'll make sure to share all of that on our own social feed so listeners you know where to go i wish you the best of luck Many thanks indeed. Excellent stuff. Head to at Garden Mara on Twitter for details on how to donate. Phil, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. No worries. Pleasure. This has been the Wizarding Club Cricket Podcast in association with Nat West. If you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends. If you're feeling extra kind, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. Cheers. Podcast Network.